Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Of course, this is the Mornings Without Carmen edition. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today on the 27th of May. Carmen's enjoying some time away, a little extended holiday with her family. I hope they're having a great time together in studio with Paul Perot as well. Good morning, Paul. Always great to be with you. Good morning. Good to have you here. Yeah, it is good. It's such a great way to start the day together with our Faith Radio family and just getting up, have a cup of coffee where we are right now. The sun is shining bright. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a gorgeous day. Here in, in central United States, uh, just outside of Minneapolis, St. Oh, Paul. Yeah. It so. is. Looking forward to the sunshine and getting ready for the Memorial Day weekend. Indeed. Even if it here in the upper Midwest, could it could get a little stormy for us over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, do? indeed. Well, it's and, summer. <laughs> and, and, and you and I have been friends uh, for a while, and I've been with you as part of the Faith Radio family for a number of years now. And, and uh, morning show, I really enjoy this time together. Tend to be a little uh, breezier, kind of some humor, some fun, some, some light ways to start the day. But... Uh, today is a, a tough day. Um, mm-hmm. We're seeing some of the reports that has been part of our, our national trauma of the shooting in the school out of Uvalde, Texas. And, and as now, some of the details are coming right. out. Um, I, I followed that relatively closely last night, and it, it's utterly heartbreaking. There isn't any other way to say it when you talk about a, a little group of five little girls, all of whom's life ended, with that they had played together most days from the way it sounded. And and all of them, their life has been snuffed out. Or uh, another young girl who did survive the attack, but in, in sort of a graphic way, had to cover herself with some of her classmates' blood in order mm. to um, pretend that she was actually dead. And, of course, not just did a teacher lose her life, but now we hear yesterday that her husband yeah. died of a heart attack as well and leaving four kids behind. And it's just, Paul, it's it's numbing. It's it's mind-boggling. It's horrific. These lives are irretrievably broken mm-hmm. in some ways in this life. It's really hard to know how to process all of this. Yeah, when I saw that article, my, my thought is, yeah, heart attack or broken heart. I mean, and it, it, it's sad. It's sad, you know, four kids left orphan. One's an adult. One's 25 years old, but the other three are still teenagers, yeah. and their life is upended big time. Not only losing just mom but in that way, but now dad. It's it, it's it's just inconceivable right now to me. It is. And, and, and it begs the question, how do we proceed? And especially specifically to people who are followers of Jesus in this beautiful eternal kingdom in which we find ourselves. And, and I know a lot of the conversation is going to turn from the trauma of it uh, into some of the politics of it. And people mm-hmm. argue on both sides of it, whether it be more of a Democratic-oriented platform or a Republican-oriented platform. And, and there's reason for those sorts of conversations. But but I think we have to be really careful to to say that we're not going to find the ultimate hope to solve these issues within those conversations, as important as they may be, if either the Republican platform or the Democratic platform could deal 
with the theological evil that is just sort of underpins life in this present darkness, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to come and die and mm-hmm. and, and, and to burst forth through the gates of death uh, into life. We just celebrated Ascension Day yesterday, as a matter of fact. And and so there's where the heart of the good news is. We can't lean into, into public policy, as important as it is, mm-hmm. but we can't surrender to it as a way of mitigating these incredibly difficult circumstances. And that brings us to a deeper thing, I think, as far as the uh, us who are believers. Uh, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's not just a gun issue, but guns are an issue. Sure. It's not just a mental health issue, but it is a major issue. Uh, you can go deeper into the various different aspects of our culture, as as some like to call the different spheres. Each, If each of them are weakened, and they have been over the last few years, we're going to see more of this, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm afraid, unless they're dealt with. And the only people who can bring grace and healing into those situations, I think, is the church, yeah. if we would wake up. I think, and there's many things the church can do. Among them that's on uh, my heart this morning and hopefully for all of us here as part of the Faith Radio family is that uh, one, of the, one of the hard truths, but one of the hopeful truths of our faith is that our tears will be one day wiped away. Yeah. But, but they will not all be wiped away in this life. Revelation 22 is quite clear that um, when Jesus returns, then there will be no more curse and our tears will be wiped away. But we do have a, a God in the midst of our affliction in this life that can bring comfort. So as we head into break here and invite Steve West into the program to talk about some of the headlines of the day, let me just read a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians 1 that we can all attend to today, that praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus, so also does our comfort abound through Christ. Faith Radio family, let's be conduits of the comfort of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. Welcome to Mornings Without Carmen. Seven minutes past the top of the hour here on the 27th of May, and we'll invite Steve West into the program. Steve is an editor as part of Liberty's Roundup, the World News Group as well. You can find their work at WNG.org. Uh, do a great job covering some of the headlines that uh, are part of our lives here, not just in our country, but around the world. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Yeah, I appreciate our conversations, and I know we've got a lot to cover by way of uh, some abortion updates as well as what's going on with the Air Force and vaccination. But I think top of the mind for all of us, Steve, around our uh, country, at least many of us, are the unfolding details of the events of Uvalde, Texas. And um, I know you've covered the news for quite some time. Do you just have any personal or or news updates uh, related to the situation that obviously is troubling down to the core? Yeah, I don't particularly have any updates relating to it. I know we have two of our world reporters are actually on site, uh, arrived there yesterday. So I know that we'll be getting some reports from you know, families, from pastors in the area down there. So so it'll be interesting to hear what they have to say. And, you know, just uh, I'm still holding on to the scriptures that you said right before the break, uh, you know, that were really encouraging us. And I think that's where we need to, to, to hold fast is hold fast to God's word and hold fast in prayer to the Lord. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that uh, something could trump uh, the abortion conversation going on in our country right now, given the magnitude of that and and the threshold on which we stand right now. We're talking about nearly 50 years of 
uh, of a legal decision from the 1970s, Roe versus Wade, that legalized abortion. And for those of us that have been around the block a bit in this life and maybe have a bit more grass under our sandals, as it were, I'm not sure that uh, I would have anticipated seeing this day in which we're, we're having we're, we're right in the midst of, of within the next probably month or so a significant threshold and there's a lot of interesting arguments going on on both sides of it one that i would love for you to touch on and you guys do a great job covering it is that some people are actually arguing to maintain abortion on <clears throat> excuse me religious grounds um and, and usually we're talking about religious grounds as the means of preventing abortion but some are arguing the opposite direction so take us into the story a bit Yes, you know, I had not, I had not ever heard of this argument before. I read an article or commentary in the Washington Post uh, about a week ago. This religious studies professor, Rachel Cranson, at the University of Pittsburgh, was asking the question as to whether or not the Constitution could guarantee abortion access as a First Amendment religious right. Very unusual. Not heard that before, but mm-hmm. apparently it's come up before in the past. And you know, it's uh, a lot of abortion supporters are very adamant about what they call reproductive rights. And so it's not surprising to me that, that somebody would try to root this in the First Amendment because that, you know, that, that is such a powerful part of our Constitution. You know, uh, if this case does overrule a Roe versus Wade, which does look like the Dobbs case will do that, and send this back to a, a multi-front, state-by-state sort of battle, I think abortion proponents are looking for some sort of constitutional argument they can make that would trump whatever these uh, states do, primarily red states, uh, Republican-led states that are, you know, protecting life uh, uh, from the moment of conception, conception like Oklahoma is, or you know, from from you know, Missouri, Missouri case was like uh, uh, 15 weeks in, I think. You know, because there's other states like New York that would allow abortion for the full term of a pregnancy. Uh, so. Rooting a, an abortion right in the free exercise clause of the First Amendment would provide them an avenue to overcome restrictive state laws. So very unusual. So, But apparently, like I said, this is not unusual. This has been argument that's been made in the past. Yeah, and, and especially when it's anchored in our Judeo-Christian faith, I know that the, there's a, quite a movement among some within some Jewish strains of thinking that the Torah or the first five books of the scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, they're claiming that the Torah is clear on this issue, that abortion is not only permitted in Judaism, but in some cases it's required when the life of the pregnant person is at stake. So there is some nuancing in this conversation, and I think uh, even fair-minded people that I talk to that are followers of Jesus are wondering, so clearly we're not talking about uh, uh, abortion just in, in any case. Uh, and But most people, I think, are really troubled by this idea. What do we do when the mother's life is at stake? And I'm not sure that I've seen real clear answers on either side of that. Yeah, I don't think we have either. And I'm not, I can't really speak to that. But I know that uh, the that's, that's what I gathered from some of my research in this, that um, the argument is that the Torah, you know, actually requires this when the mother's life is at stake. And they're talking about the physical, the immediate physical life of the mother. So it's basically life for life. Either the child is going to be born or the mother is going to die, that kind of situation. But but the argument uh, that uh, Cranston made, made in her commentary is that, you know, this this actually could be, is it could be expanded. And so some Jewish, um, some more progressive Jews, I guess we'd say, are wanting this right to be expanded and would look to the, uh, that religious right as one that could extend to, you know, where the mother's life, emotional well-being is in danger, uh, which would open the door to a lot more 
requirement of abortion uh, as a right, a religious, um, as part of their religious faith. And so that's that would be a little bit of an extension of that. But still, it applies to people who are making some sort of religious argument. And if they don't have the religious argument, then they don't have that argument uh, to make under the free exercise clause. Yeah, indeed. And we want to be really careful that uh, I'm just quoting what some people are saying that Torah argues for these first five books of scripture. It's This is more of an interpretation of what might be included in it. It's not just this black and white issue that's coming from scripture, but certainly people who want to maintain the legality of abortion on some level in our country are arguing for an interpretation of the Bible that would allow uh, abortion in some circumstances. So we want to be careful to not say there's just a one-to-one relationship <laughs> with Scripture and abortion that's, at this point, right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Indeed. We're talking with Steve West, who's part of Liberty's Roundup in the World News Group, and we're going to step away for just a moment. When we come back, Steve, I would love your take on what's going on in the Air Force Academy. We're starting to see some of the rippling effects of vaccination policy within the military, and some people may be prevented from getting their diploma. So let's talk about that next year on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning. We're talking with Steve West, who's part of Liberty's Roundup and the World News Group. And Steve, the pretty interesting headlines coming out of the Air Force. I know there's quite a bit of hand-wringing about what to do with vaccination status and some of our military members across all of the branches of military. And now we're seeing some of those policies or those mandates that are impacting some of the graduating uh, cadets from the Air Force Academy. So take us into the story. What do you see here? Yes, you know, uh, all of the military has been subject to a mandated vaccine, you know, COVID-19 vaccine. So, um, so, so all of them have been subject to that, but also the uh, cadets that are in the various military academies. So, so all of them are under that. They're also, um, they technically allow for a request for a religious accommodation for those who have religious objections to the vaccine, but the military branches have not been accommodating toward these at all and generally have, have denied most of them sort of a boilerplate language uh, saying that, you know, they have to be, you know, on the basis of military readiness, uh, they're going to deny this uh, uh, request for a vaccine. So the only ones who've had an accommodation generally are those who are leaving the military. They're, they're on their way out, they're retiring. And so they're allowing them uh, not to get it. But in this case, uh, these are some Air Force cadets, a handful, a handful of the the many that were graduating, the, about a thousand graduated uh, from the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado, actually uh, Wednesday of this week, uh, and there were about uh, there were a handful, like I say, three or four uh, that were not able to graduate over their objection to the uh, to the vaccine. You know, uh, Christians disagree about the efficacy, you know, the effectiveness of the vaccines or the safety of the vaccines. And they certainly, you know, disagree over when, over whether or not uh, uh, they should be mandated. People should be required to take the vaccine, uh, you know, in various branches of the military or the federal government or government contractors, that kind of thing. So there's been a lot of different cases out there about that. But one thing that's hard to overlook is the uh, the the uh, not or not to appreciate is the integrity of those uh, military uh, cadets who are. Set, you know, set were set to graduate and are holding fast to religious convictions about the about the vaccines because there's a lot at stake. They've been through this four year program. They would be a commissioned officer if they graduated in the Air Force. That's their dream. 
to be able to do that. And now, you know, at least at this point, they're not able to do that. They did not graduate on Wednesday of this week. Um, I talked to one cadet's mother. Uh, Dana Swiss is the mother of Nathan Swiss. Nathan was not allowed to graduate. Nathan has an objection because of, you know, uh, when the vaccines were developed, uh, there were uh, aborted fetuses that were used in the development of the, of the or cell lines from aborted fetuses that were used in the development of the vaccines. This was about 40 years ago. So some for, for many Christians, they say, well, that's just too tangential. It's not like any um, babies uh, were aborted to, you know, manufacture the vaccine. But for him, it's important. And uh, so he he can't he feels like he cannot participate. Uh, in taking the vaccine. And so he was not able to graduate. And he also has been threatened with you know, having to repay all of his tuition. Uh, I guess it's a scholarship that you receive when you go there, but it's about $165,000 that if he's required to pay it back, he, you know, he'd have to pay back that much money to the military as well as not graduate. So it's a really uh, difficult situation for, for these um, cadets. Steve, are there any legal precedents that are being set in this time that are going to impact future decisions, let's say five or 10 or 15, 20 years down the road? I, let's say we have another situation in which there's some kind of pandemic. And uh, are, are there things that are afoot right now that are going to inform future decisions maybe that we're not aware of? Yeah, I think so. One of the things that comes up in these particular lawsuits, and it's not not just in the cadets' law. Well, there's not a lawsuit about the cadets yet, but I, I anticipate there will be. But one of the things that comes up is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is a 1993 federal law that uh, was intended to bolster First Amendment protection. So it requires the government to show a compelling interest when uh, religious liberty rights are substantially impacted. And then it also requires the government to use the least restrictive means in terms of restricting that right uh, in order, you know, in order to overcome that right. And so uh, I guess what, what's going to be important for the future is how the courts uh, interpret this language, what is compelling, what is the least restrictive means. So this is a very accommodating sort of standard, uh, and the the, the uh, burden is on the government to demonstrate that they have that compelling interest and have used the least restrictive means. And so that's what's, that's what's afoot here, and I think that those um, cases that, that have to do with this will – will impact what happens in the future in regard to vaccines or, uh, you know, pandemic kind of restrictions if they come up again. And so we, we'll look forward to seeing what, what happens here. The, a number of courts have not been very uh, impressed with the military's arguments about this. So there have been a couple of rulings against the government. There's also been a ruling in favor of the government as well in this respect. So we'll have to see what comes of it. Yeah, you know, there's such a constant tension between social and public policy and, and religious freedom, and we see it play itself out in one last uh, conversation that you and I can have this morning, and that is a, a city and a church that are at odds with one another about what has been a long-term RV ministry. I don't know about you, Steve, but uh, I've always kind of wanted, I don't say it out loud, you know, but, but there's, there's a romantic part of me that would love to just travel like a nomad in an RV and see all parts of the United States, not having a home anywhere and everywhere all at the same time. But tell us what's happening in this ministry. Yeah, you know, there's my particular upbringing and my particular denomination, this was not a thing, you know, that uh, pastors and evangelists travel around uh, in RVs, and that's where they, that's where they lived. And Churches would host those uh, pastors for, you know, uh, a very a set of sermons or revival or whatever, and they would allow them to stay on the property and, and hook up. They had hookups for the RV, but that's what happens here. 
So there's a, a, a church in Pueblo, Colorado, Christian Growth Center. Uh, the rep is a pastor, pastored by Paul Elder. And since 2011, that church has uh, provided RV hookup sites for traveling ministers. And that's a regular thing that happens there. But then that came to a halt in May 2021 when the, when the uh, city filed a criminal complaint against the church for violating a zoning ordinance. They basically had zoned out RVs except in you know, city-approved RV parks, which you know can cost up you know seventy-five, eighty-five dollars a night to park in an RV park and use their hookups and all. So that was the argument, and then so uh, the 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 church was forced to file a lawsuit. They filed it under what's called the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. Uh, that was a two thousand federal law that sort of like the Religious Freedom. Restoration Act, it prevents local governments from substantially burdening religious exercise unless they have a compelling interest and use the least restrictive option available. And so here they're, they're arguing that uh, the, the, the city doesn't really have a reason to do this. And it's not like uh, these are there's, a, there's a, a parking lot full of RVs in a sort of a residential community area, you know, a lot of traffic coming and going. This is actually a commercial area where the church is. It's across from an auto parts store and, and a motel right along the interstate. And so there's really not an issue in terms of bothering the neighbors. And there's usually no more than one or two uh, vehicles there at a time. But, you know, it's just an example, I think, of some of the kinds of uh, conflicts that can come up in a community between a city uh, and, and a church. You know, there's all kinds of other things that come up, you know, whether it's parking issues or traffic issues, um, you know, soup, churches that have soup kitchens, uh, that have you know, homeless people coming in, uh, all of these things can be, you know, cities can become concerned about them and try to, you know, uh, enact ordinances that would deal with it. Uh, cities have legitimate interest in, in what happens, you know, in terms of traffic and parking and, and how many people there are in different places, but they also have to be accommodating of you know, the religious uses of property. So that's what this, this case is, is aimed at. I'm hoping that this is resolved with the city. They've worked with this church very well for many, many years. Mm. And so um, I'm a little baffled as to why, you know, this has come up now. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. When city leaders and religious leaders can work together around uh, make sense social policy, that's what we like to see. Stay, Steve, thanks for taking the time this morning for what you do here as part of WNG.org, a faithful site uh, for some of the headlines of the day. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thanks. Happy to be with you. Take a short break and to preview what's coming up in the second half of this first hour of Mornings with Carmen. Some get up and go music there, there you Paul. Go. Bro, that's pretty solid right there. Yeah. I love it. Corey and Kelly victory song is called. I like it. Well, good morning again, everyone. Love hearing from you. We'd love to hear the text coming in this morning, too. Thanks for those of you that have been sending them in. And so if you have some questions or comments that you want to make with any of our guests this morning or to me or to Paul, you can text in at 877-933-2484. And Paul, I would suggest we could probably get some insights from a lot of the people in our Faith Radio family We'd, uh, about what would make a good RV. We just got done in this RV conversation. Uh, I, there's a part of me that would love to travel, but I'm thinking there might be some non-negotiables in an RV that I need. And one of them that came to mind 
I kind of need a pillow top mattress. I, I don't think I, I don't. I don't think I could just do the standard non pillow top mattress. I, do you have any non negotiables as part of an RV? Uh, well, I mean, of the key ones, uh, that it's air conditioned. Oh, that's a big one too. That's a big one too. Yeah, I, I I might say some some jets in the tub too. I don't even know if they have bathtubs in in, well, in some RVs. Do, yeah. Do yeah, yeah. At least a shower of some sort. Maybe maybe we're starting to talk about actually a luxury hotel room. I, I think we are instead. Indeed, I think yeah, we are. Love to hear from you this morning. Any non-negotiables or if you have an RV, uh, ways to travel. It was just an interesting conversation about the intersection between public policy and religious freedom, even in something that seems as mundane as that. Up next, we'll be talking with Chris Martin, joins us regularly to talk about social media and what to be on the lookout for. And Chris is going to talk about five social media statistics that pastors, ministry leaders, even the rest of us should know. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Carmen will be back in the host chair post-Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure by next Tuesday morning, right? We yeah, have, she'll yeah. be back Tuesday. Now, we do have a best of show coming up on Memorial Day Monday that she kind of hosted. You'll, you'll hear it. her voice then. Yeah. yeah, great stuff. So good to be with all of you again as part of our Faith Radio Network. And we're joined by Chris Martin, who is part of the program regularly. And he is our social media expert. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, we're doing well. I, the, these headlines about social media, or at least the statistics that you provided for us, they were, uh, I will say, I wasn't prepared maybe for what I saw. One of the statistics that you started out with right away is that uh, among the seven or so social media platforms that most people are on, and that's one of the statistics, I thought, I'm not even sure I can name seven social media platforms for sure, but among the seven-ish or so platforms, people spend two and a half hours per day on average on these platforms. And Chris, I thought that stat can't be right, but we were just recently overseas and, and we, we went out on a Sunday afternoon on uh, uh, a touring boat out to a little island in the middle of the Firth to Forth in, in Scotland. And it was kind of a Sabbath trip for my wife and I, my family. And it was just this beautiful a space that we were surrounded by water and, and wildlife in this ancient 11th century abbey. And, and I looked over and this is pretty common. I think this isn't to pile on. It just is the nature of our world today, uh, two people were on their phones almost the entire trip, and they were mostly just posting various versions of selfies all along the three-hour tour or so that took shape. Th- this is what people are doing these days. Yeah, yeah, man. It's there's a really funny uh, social media account. It's on multiple. It's on I've seen it on Twitter or Instagram called Influencers in the Wild, which is kind of like it's kind of what you just described. The scene you've seen, like this is an account that I think has many contributors and collects different photos or videos of people, whether they're influencers or not, isn't really the point, but it's like of people basically documenting their lives for social media rather than maybe like being present in their lives. And so every time I hear a story like you just described, I I think of that and, and it's kind of, it's kind of a funny social media follow. If anybody's listening, I think it's just called influencers in the wild, but yeah, it's, um, man, what you described is exactly right. And, and whether through that social media account or, or personal experience, yeah, I've been to so many places of note that, you know, they're just maybe beautiful landscapes or famous places where you almost wonder, is anybody even there? In fact, I saw, I'm not a huge golf guy, I like a little, watching a little golf here and there, but I saw a picture on social media last week of Tiger Woods playing at like the PGA Championship. And, you know, it was this huge crowd of people, all, of course, with their phones out recording video, you know, because they're five feet away from Tiger Woods watching him in his tee shot or whatever. And it's, you know, 
out of the out of the 60 people in the picture, 59 of them have their phones out recording video of them of of Tiger Woods in his backswing. And there's one guy with with like a a soda in his hand and his hand, his other hand in his pocket, just standing there watching Tiger Woods. And I, I ought to go back and save that photo because it is such a kind of microcosm, a sort of good example of what life is like today. Um, and it, it is sad. And I don't want to, I don't like dogging on people like that. Cause I've done that too. It's not like I'm exempt, but that is very much what life feels like today. And, and the stat you mentioned that I, I wrote about, um, comes from Hootsuite, which is a huge social media company. They have a social media software. They do a lot of social media research. And they do a big annual report called the Global State of Digital uh, every year. And it usually comes out January or February. And this one did come out in January this year. And I finally, around around March or April, took some time to look through it. And one of the most shocking statistics to me, though it shouldn't have been given how much I've written on social media and how much I've worked in social media, is that the average person the average person spends two and a half hours a day on social media, which obviously means like there are plenty of people who spend three and a half and plenty of people who only spend 30 minutes. But but the average is two and a half. And at first, kind of like you, it was kind of shocking. And then once I kind of paid attention to the world around me and even how much I use social media, two and a half hours started to become a lot more understandable and realistic because I know I've got lost you know, watching a 30 minute YouTube video and not realize where 30 minutes went or, or, you know, stuck watching TikToks for 15 minutes and been like, where'd that 15 minutes go? And so I, I kind of understand how that could pile up. And I think it's important that pastors or parents or anyone who's in a position to be like leading and discipling and caring for other people recognize that social media is probably discipling the people you care about more than you are. And I, I think that's just a huge – like the average person goes to church maybe an hour a week. I don't know what the recent, most recent data is, but the average Christian, uh, a church-going Christian, probably shows up to church on Sunday for an hour or so. Um, a super Christian might go to Wednesday night you know, programming <laughs> or whatever, but the average person probably goes about an hour a week. That means the, you know, the, the local church has an influence of maybe an hour or two per week. And people are spending more time than that per day on social media. So it's just a fascinating sort of comparison. Yeah, I love that word discipleship that you're using, Chris, to describe what uh, is part of this phenomenon of using social media. If we want to want to mine into that word disciple a little bit, to be a disciple of something means that your thought life, uh, your your character development, the way you carry yourself, how you see the world, all of those are are impressionable realities. They shift and change within us, and they're impressionable by different kinds of circumstances in our world. And so to, to be in social media, to be discipled by it, means that your thought life and your character development and how you understand the world and relationships, all of those things are influencing you. This is not a benign reality to be as part of social media. And so just take us into that a little bit more about what church leaders might need to be a little bit more aware of in terms of the kind of discipleship that's happening in people's lives, because there's there tends to be a different invitation related to following Jesus and his kingdom and the kind of thought life and character development and the way we carry ourselves that, that happens as a disciple of Jesus. It really is in some ways in conflict with what's going on within social media. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it, it's funny that you ask this because I've already I've written one book on social media called, called Terms of Service, which Carmen and I have talked about a significant amount. Um, but I have in editing right now the manuscript for a second book, which comes out uh, next February ish uh, called The Wolf in Their Pockets, which is really about every like everything that we're talking about here. Um, it's it's about how, you know, as a shepherd, as a pastor or elder or even a parent, um, you're trying to lead people 
followers of Jesus to walk more closely with Jesus. And and you're, these are, you know, you're, uh, we're all sheep. We're all sheep following the good shepherd. Uh, but I also think we all have wolves in our pockets in a way. Um, and I think the local church leader, whether it's a community group leader, a kid, a children's minister, a youth minister, a, a lead pastor preaching every Sunday, should recognize exactly what you described, that social media is shaping us more than the local churches in a lot of ways, I think. And, and a lot of that, the reason I can say that without feeling like I need stats to back it up is just because the stat we have is time. And with time comes discipleship. In the same way that um, it's common to say, and I think it's accurate to say, that everybody worships something right? Even if you aren't a Christian, you maybe worship yourself or you worship money or you worship fame or success or whatever. I think in the same way, we're all discipled by something. Um, we're all always being discipled. Perhaps we're being discipled by the music we listen to. Perhaps we're being discipled. And like you said, it's just really character formation, soul formation, worldview formation. So we're, being, we, we're discipled by parents or, or spouses even. We're discipled by uh, leaders in our local church. And I think some of the ways social media disciples us is that it changes our understanding of sex. It changes our understanding of friendship and community. It changes our understanding of authority. Gosh, you want to talk about one of the most revolutionary ways social media has changed how we view the world and, and how we follow Jesus or follow anything is that we're hesitant to follow anything. And and it mm. makes us, I think, a, a bit cynical, it makes us hesitant to trust other people or it's especially other institutions. And so I think social media really, there are a bevy of ways. In fact, my book is is 13 different ways social media is discipling us in ways we maybe don't don't realize and and I think there are, are many ways and I think we should I, I, one of the biggest obstacles I face in talking about this is a lot of people I find especially in the church still aren't taking social media seriously they're kind of treating it as like oh it's not real life it's child's play it's that thing teenagers care about and I, I think more and more this is changing but I think so many people still kind of treat it as this ancillary part of life, this sort of like digital existence that doesn't really matter. And my hope is, even though it manifests negatively a lot of times, my hope is that as social media becomes more and more clearly impacting our offline worlds, we can all in the church and otherwise start to take it a little bit more seriously. Chris, I think you surfaced some things here as this part of the conversation in terms of the intersection of discipleship and how our character is formed and our thought life is formed within social media. And we're going to step away for just a moment, but I want to stay in this conversation with you a bit and follow up on what you just said about the idea that the, to the extent that we're on social media is the extent that we might develop a, a bit of cynicism. We, we don't really follow, we don't trust anymore, and the impact that has even in our discipleship, uh, discipleship with Jesus. As Chris Martin chatting with us as he does regularly on Friday mornings on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm smelling coffee. Welcome back to the show. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge, and we are talking with Chris Martin about the impact of social media, and especially this statistic that the average person spends about two and a half hours daily on social media, and we've been talking a bit about how that does disciple us. And Chris, you said something in our first segment that really caught my attention, and that is that to the extent that we're spending this amount of time on social media is the extent in which one of the things that might get developed within us is a bit of cynicism or maybe even a bit of meh, uh, and, and we don't really know who or what to follow anymore. We're just kind of constantly consuming. So say a bit more about this because it is having an impact. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, what, one of my favorite 
one of my favorite writers on media and technology is Neil Postman. And I've talked about Postman a lot on this program before. And, and um, his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, really changed my life and really impacted the way I think about social media, though it was a book written in 1985, never talking about social media, in fact, focusing mostly on the television. Um, one could read it today and clearly see the connections between Postman's concern with television's warping of our minds to care more about entertainment than truth and wisdom and see how that applies to social media. And in fact, he has a chapter called Now This, which kind of uh, picks apart the national television news program idea that um, one, one of the lines that he has in that chapter, which has always been really impactful to me ever since I first read it, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, I don't know that people are meant to consume the entirety of the world's news in a half an hour, meaning like in a half an hour news program, you know, at night after work, you know, which which is still plenty of people still watch those evening news programs. But especially when he was writing in the 80s and in the 90s, that was that was how you got your evening news. Unless you were getting an evening newspaper, that's kind of how you learn the news of the day. And and his point was, I don't know that we're really meant to consume all of the terror and news and awful things going on in the world with 30 minutes of news broadcast in the evening interspersed with some commercials for prescription drugs or soda or whatever else. And I think the same kind of applies to our relationship with social media. I've, I've also kind of brought hit, brought that idea to the 21st century and said, I don't know that the human mind was meant to consume or the human soul was meant to consume the entirety of the world's news in three swipes of Twitter, you know, three scrolls mm -hmm. of Twitter or whatever. And I, my concern is that, this is why disinformation kind of can run rampant on social media. We simply are so inundated by so much content all the time that we don't take into consideration how it's shaping our minds, our souls, maybe how it's making us more and more anxious. You know, that I, I just think we're so consumed with consuming that we haven't the time or perhaps we don't want to make the time to consider how consuming all of this content, whether funny or serious, true or untrue, um, we're not considering how consuming all of this content is affecting us on a deeper level. Yeah, it, it begs the question then, Chris, what, what is a proper or moderated relationship with social media if such a thing exists? Because it really does impact us. And, and I'm thinking about an analogy from just yesterday. My wife, Hallie, and I went out to a local cafe and, and they offered um, chocolate carrot cake, of all things, which I've never had vegetables in my chocolate and, and was quite suspicious, but it had the proper layer of cream cheese frosting like a good carrot cake should. And and uh, there's a lot of calories packed in that cake and, and my metabolism isn't what it used to be. And so there's a sense in which can I take a diversion from a healthy diet uh, because the food that I eat is going to impact me and I should be eating healthily. But every once in a while, fine, take a diversion into the into this carrot cake and, and you can recover quite quickly. I, I use that example in terms of social media. I, it has, a, I think, an, uh, an increasingly we're knowing the impact it's having on us. But is it something that we can take a diversion from our regular relationships in, in life? Is it something that we need to cut out altogether? Clearly, we're running the risk of that becomes our only diet is sort of this massive carrot cake of social media and that, that'll kill us over time. So how do we understand this as church leaders, parents, all of that? You make, a, you make a really good point and ask a very good question that I don't have an easy answer to. I'm always very careful not to uh, recommend that people 
totally shut down all their social media and eradicate it from their lives. Because I think if we think that we can solve the social media problem, if you will, by shutting down our accounts or, or deleting our accounts or logging out, um, we're mistaken because social media will wriggle its way back into our lives because we'll be watching an evening news program and they'll show us some viral video that went, you know, that went viral throughout the day, or they'll show us tweets from a politician about the news of the day, or we, we can't get away from social media entirely. I do think mediating our relationship with it is wise. You use a food analogy and I, I've often used like an alcohol analogy that mm. if you, um, many of us are, are, uh, frankly, social media alcoholics, like we're, we're addicted to it. We do not have a healthy relationship with it. And if you're an alcoholic, regardless of what like your, your biblical views are on alcohol, but if you're, you're an alcoholic, it, you kind of just need to eradicate alcohol from your life. You shouldn't be ever engaging with it anymore. And so I do think in, in some respects, if we find ourselves having an unhealthy relationship with social media, and frankly, we may not find that, we may need other friends and trusted family members or whomever to find that unhealthy relationship for us, because sometimes it's hard for us to, you know, in the same way it's hard for a writer to edit himself, it's hard for us to recognize our own sin or whatever. And so we may need friends and family members, church members to help us recognize an unhealthy relationship with social media, and then figure out what are some ways that accountability or different different functions can be put in place in our lives where maybe we can have a mediated relationship. But if it's really taking over our lives, we maybe need to kind of take that uh, alcoholic trying to get sober approach and eradicate it entirely until we maybe, you know, reach a new stage of life or find a certain level of maturity or accountability where we can maybe then re-engage. Um, but, but I think, you know, there are all kinds of ways uh, uh, functions on our phones, applications, again, community in the local church, where I do think a mediated relationship, a healthy relationship with social media is possible. But I think we shouldn't entrust that to ourselves. I think we should be seeking friends or, or church members or others who can kind of help us walk in that way. We're, we're, this is not a burden we're meant to bear on our own, and we should bear one another's burdens in this. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Chris. What I'm hearing you say is that uh, rather than a hard and fast principle, that some wisdom and some discernment in the situation is required in terms of our relationship with it. One more point, we have just a couple of minutes left here I would love for you to address is that uh, even going into social media and being discipled by it, we need to be aware that there's quite a bit of an agenda that's going on specifically within uh, the, the social media platform, TikTok, where we're seeing artists uh, having a lot of pressure to go out and perform and go viral, even if it's not actually representative of their music, of themselves, of even the situation. So maybe a bit of a critical eye when we engage in some of these platforms, especially TikTok. Tell us what's happening here. Yeah, recognize that not everything is authentic um, and that, that a lot of, yeah, I mean, TikTok has been huge for the music industry. And I think uh, a lot of mu musical artists are being pressured to create social media content in order to try to market their songs or get a lot of streams on their songs. And, th and they're being pressured to create social media content, usually on TikTok, just because it's the huge one right now. It's not like TikTok's not doing it. It's more their record labels who are doing it to them. And, and they're being pressured to create content that's not unique. So I think the, the lesson from this in very short, brief discussion here is to just recognize that not everything is authentic that you're engaging with on social media, whether it's from your friend who's trying to make their life seem more interesting and appealing than it actually is, or from your favorite favorite musical artist who's being pressured by his or her record label to create a TikTok video that's not really a representative of who they are. It's just kind of a marketing ploy. Um, just be aware that that treat take everything with a grain of salt. I'm not saying to be cynical, but also don't trust everything you see for sure. And I think that's just wisdom in general for engaging online. Yeah, super helpful. Chris, thanks for taking the time in this. People that want to follow up on, on some wisdom that you offer in social media, where, they, where can they find you? 
Yeah, sure. At Chris Martin 17 on Twitter is the primary place where I, I post thoughts and, and terms of service is my newsletter. You can find it at my Twitter handle. I love it. Thanks so much for the time. And I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend ahead. Yep. You guys as well. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up this first hour of the show. We'll preview what's coming up in hour two on Mornings Without Carmen. Paul Pro, I just find that so helpful when Chris Martin talks about this. I just, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm just not on social media that much, really, if at all. But I know how much it has absolutely captured the attention of many generations. This is not just a young people thing. Now, there's many people that they spend most of their day, or at least several hours of their day, on social media. It really is discipling us in terms it, of our views and character and everything. It does. And now, as one who spends a lot more time on social media than you, and part of it is show prep. You know, of course, the stuff I'm doing here, because as I like to say, one of the things I do is I follow things like Twitter to see what people are screaming about. And then I say, okay, here's what they're screaming about. Who's thinking well about. And so there's that. Plus, I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, um, Jessica and I are usually sitting side by side and scrolling through (laughs) our individual (laughs) Facebook feeds. Oh, look at this cute little video or look at this meme it's like oh man it, we're pathetic i admit <laughs> it, it is part of our days for sure and i think it it does call to mind a, a really good understanding of what it means to be a disciple of something and and i appreciate chris's moderation yeah that he's he's not saying don't do it at all but but be at least mindful of it because to be a disciple means that your thoughts are going to be shaped by the circumstances in which you engage or your character will as well. So this stuff does matter at the end of the day. So it, 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 it's also, okay, who you're following, too. I mean, that's one of it the does. things I try to be careful about. Yeah, I do follow stuff on Twitter, but I'm rather limited on Twitter. Facebook, apart from friends, I try to be a little more judicious about who I'm following. Yeah, indeed. Well, if you missed any part of Hour 1, you're going to want to go back and catch those conversations. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and download the podcast is part of the Mornings with Carmen show page. Up next, when we start Hour 2, we'll be joined by Adam Holtz. We have quite a few interesting movies and, and uh, TV shows to preview and to get into, including the sequel to the famous Top Gun. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.